Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 82. So guys, this week I am tackling the finale of the War of the Bounty Hunters massive crossover event. So this is going to be the fifth War of the Bounty Hunters, as well as Dr. Aphra 15, Darth Vader 17, the IG-88 comic, Star Wars 18, and Bounty Hunters 17. And for clarity, this is the second run for Dr. Aphra and Star Wars, and the third run for Darth Vader. Bounty Hunters only has one run in the current canon. And if you haven't joined us before, I want to clarify, I'm going to go through each of the comics, talk about the stories in general, and then talk about the many connections that there are to other content, you know, information on characters or species or whatever. Lots of random bits and pieces here and there. And uh, for this one, if you haven't tuned in before as well, and you've not listened to any of my other episodes on War of the Bounty Hunters, then you can either go over to YouTube and it'll be in a playlist called War of the Bounty Hunters, or you can just go back and check out episodes 60, 64, 68, 72, and 77. Now, although this is the fifth chapter, in a sense, of War of the Bounty Hunters, that first one I mentioned, number 60, is actually like a prelude, so it's where all the other storylines kind of connect to the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover, hence why this is technically the sixth episode that I've done on War of the Bounty Hunters. But yeah, I just want to clarify that for you guys, just before moving forward, and uh, with that in mind, let's get right into it. So, It all starts off with War of the Bounty Hunters number 5. It is called Attack at Dawn. It was released October 13th, 2021. The trade paperback collection, which includes the War of the Bounty Hunters prelude and then issues 1 to 5, obviously including this one, was released November 23rd, 2021. The writer for War of the Bounty Hunters is Charles Saul. The artist was Luke Ross with help from David Messina. And the colour artist was Neeraj Menon with help from Rachel Rosenberg. So, with that all in mind, let's get into the crawl. Han Solo is currently frozen in carbonite and in the grasp of the Empire, but the rebels aboard the Millennium Falcon plan to take him back. They are not the only ones looking to recapture Solo. Boba Fett and Valance are both on a collision course with the Falcon and the Imperial Shuttle holding Han Solo, but neither group were expecting the huts to come with an entire armada. So this all starts with the Imperial Shuttle that has been disabled, which was disabled by Lobot an issue or two ago, and it is still heading vaguely towards the Star Destroyer, but more so the Star Destroyer is coming towards the Imperial Shuttle to collect it because Han Solo is on board. Then some pirates grab the ship with some magna clamps, and it shows that it is Boku the Hutt's men. The rest of the Hutt Council are quite uneasy on Boku's decision, and Jabba's already left and gone back to Tatooine at this point. Then the Imperials send out a whole swarm of TIE Fighters. Admiral Piet communicates to Vader, who is currently chasing Luke in his TIE Fighter, with Luke being in his X-Wing, and Vader tells Piet to not disturb him unless Palpatine specifically communicates. For clarity, Piet, I've mentioned before, but he is actually in charge of Vader's ship, the Executor, when Vader isn't there, and he's at the helm of it, commanding it, in Return of the Jedi, when it inevitably gets destroyed, when a A A-Wing crashes into the bridge, killing everyone on the bridge, and then they lose control of the ship, and it falls into the Death Star too. But Piet is basically in charge, he's like below Vader in like the legions that Vader commands, after Admiral Ozzel got killed in Empire Strikes Back, when Vader force-choked him when they approached Hoth too closely. Uh, But yeah, Piet has been with Vader for a little while now, which is quite cool. 
Meanwhile, the Millennium Falcon is still out of action, which was caused by Boba Fett dropping a seismic charge that was only at like 10% strength, and seismic charges come from his ship, the Slave One, and you actually first saw it in Attack of the Clones, when... Obi-Wan was chasing Jango Fett and Boba through the asteroid field, I think outside of Geonosis, when the full blast seismic charge was launched. So while the Falcon is still a little bit out of action, Boba and Valance then head to the Star Destroyer, trying to go aboard. And Boba just communicates to them, and they just let him aboard, because he still has clearance from when Vader hired him to pursue Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back. And this is only taking place like a very short while after that. The Rebels aboard manage to fix the Millennium Falcon, and then they are communicated to by a Crimson Dawn Imperial. So it's basically just an Imperial on the Star Destroyer who gives them clearance. And they make some sort of comment about someone being able to clear the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs, and Lando goes, that's Kira. Clearly Crimson Dawn have got their tendrils out even beyond what we thought. Clearly these people in the Empire are loyal to Crimson Dawn, and that's why they're apparently letting us aboard. And Leia questions something like, how does Kira know about that? And Lando's like, oh, Han and Kira have a pass, and that she's like uh what do you mean and he's like i'll talk to you about that in a bit <laughs> we've currently got a situation so they then go and fly and land in the star destroyer's hangar and then they are given directions by assumedly the imperial who told them anyway and the imperial tells them where han solo is and stuff and then says you know await to the dawn Meanwhile, the Huts are pulling back their fighters, then someone from Crimson Dawn communicates to Boku the Hut once again, and tells him to push the attack. Boku agrees to it, and then finishes off the comms by saying, Await the Dawn, which is a very common thing, it's obviously showing them people are loyal to Crimson Dawn, and so Boku tells the rest of his ships to attack even more. So Piet then wants to get into contact with Vader, obviously Vader told him not to unless Palpatine was involved, so Piet communicates to Palpatine, and then Palpatine confirms to him to yeah, pass the message on to Vader. And so he does that, and then Vader says that he will help, and he stops trying to attack Luke, and says, you know, I've succeeded, fear, blah blah blah, but Vader heads back to where this fighting is with the Star Destroyers, the Huts, and everyone else. So now Boba Fett and Valance are on the Star Destroyer. They get attacked by a security droid. Now this security droid is a KX series security droid, which is the same model as the droid from Rogue One, K2SO. They're approximately 2.16 meters tall, and although they were first created for Rogue One, they were actually in a mobile game, which isn't about anymore. It's called Star Wars Commander. It was a strategy game. That was the first canonical appearance of that type of security droid. Uh, and then after that, you know, these types of droids have been in lots of comics and and books and things, and you see them quite a lot now. But yeah, Valance then uses hand blasters to shoot the head off this security droid, saving Boba Fett, and then Boba Fett thanks him and then throws a thermal detonator at Valance, telling him that you had your shot, you should have taken it, we said that once we got on board, it was free game, because you know in the previous issues they hated each other, didn't want to work together, but they needed to to be able to try and get solo. But then Boba, before leaving Valance, who's now on like a crumpled heap on the floor and his like chest cavities are open because obviously Valance is a cyborg and just all his parts are out. And Boba says to Valance that Han is going to be on Tatooine under the hand of Jabba the Hutt, so go there if you want him. Then back to Vader. It's confirmed that Palpatine told Vader to hurt but not fully destroy all of the Huts because they want to send them a message, but also they still want to be able to trade with them and etc. as they have been previously. Meanwhile, Lando, Leia, and Chewie get to Han in the detention center, but Boba Fett gets there at the same time. Boba Fett aims at them and says, look, you're not going to take this away from me. Then the room explodes after a ship outside shoots something that clearly damages the Star Destroyer. So yep, the room explodes, causing a big distraction, and then Han, frozen in carbonite, falls into space. Leia yells out no, but Lando pulls her back, and then Boba dives after it with his jetpack. It shows that Vader is now on the Hutt's ship, and he ignites his lightsaber, saying he's going to kill Boku the Hutt, and assumedly the rest of the Hutt Council as well. 
Then it shows that Boba managed to retrieve the hand-frozen Carbonite and managed to get him and take him back to his ship. Now I'm just going to read like a little monologue from Kira. It shows a few panels of like the multiple crossovers this has had, but obviously I always say this benefits from you guys reading it, but I'm trying to give you guys what information I can. So this is Kira. This was a good beginning. It didn't go exactly as I hoped. I did want to return Han to his people, but the primary goal was achieved. We lost valuable allies, but relations between the Empire and the Huts are as strained as they have ever been. Instability and chaos are sure to follow, as the galaxy's balance of power realigns, a true opportunity for us. And though we gained new enemies, we found others who might serve the Dawn. Time will tell. This was a good beginning. The Dawn has come. Now, the real work begins. Await the rain. And as she says that, there are lots of people around her, uh, including a group of individuals who were made famous from the sequel trilogy, the Knights of Wren. Now, I'll just finish off this comic and then I'll give you a little bit of information about the Knights of Wren. So after Kira's statement and she's talking to a group of people, including the Knights of Wren, it then shows something which says the epilogue. And the epilogue just shows that Boba Fett gives hand to Jabba the Hutt. He isn't happy about the bounty being put on him, but Jabba says, you know, it wasn't personal, it was just business. I've still got lots more work for you, especially with Crimson Dawn coming out the woodwork, etc, etc. And then Jabba says that the rest of the Hutt Council are all dead. So he is like the sole controller of the Hutt Empire at the moment. Boba says to Jabba that he should kill Solo because he's just too much trouble and Jabba says nope I'm going to hang him on my wall and then the final page of this is Boba demanding payment. And that's where that ends and then the little thing at the bottom says this is going to continue in the Crimson Rain miniseries. Uh, I have got those on my bedside table which is where I read all my comics. I have not yet read them uh, or rather I have not read it yet and I've got all of the follow-up issues for the rest of these you know Dr. Aphra, Vader, Star Wars etc. So I will figure out whether or not in the new year I'm going to tackle those episodes similarly to this one, you know, where I do all issues that are all connected, or if Crimson Rain is going to be more so its own miniseries, I'll kind of see how it goes, but um, I'll confirm more details about that at the end. And just before I move on to the next comic, let's just clarify a bit of information about the Knights of Ren. So obviously they were first seen in The Force Awakens. Um, I think they are, I'm not sure if they've even seen or mentioned really in The Last Jedi. According to Wikipedia they are, but I, I can't really remember them. But maybe I think maybe it was like a flashback or something, I don't know. And then obviously they return for the most amount of screen time in The Rise of Skywalker. So there is actually a comic that tackles this, and I tackle that comic on the first ever full episode of Styles Comics in Canon. It, the structure of the show at that point was slightly different to now. I didn't give the full plot details away because I think that comic was like quite new when I did that episode, so I didn't want to spoil it for people at the time. But if you want to find out sort of bits and pieces of information about The Rise of Kylo Ren, which is the four-issue miniseries written by Charles Saul, it's got some of the coolest panels in there. It's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, miniseries of Star Wars comics. You get to see Kylo Ren try and bleed his lightsaber crystal you get to see a more in-depth look of what happened to kylo ren after the flashbacky bits you get to see in the last jedi you know once he collapsed the hut on luke and then the temple was on fire you kind of get to see how that happened and how some of the other jedi reacted and stuff it's a really really cool comic i do recommend it but in there basically the knights of ren were already a thing they were led by a gentleman named ren who also had a red lightsaber which was also called ren that they all kind of worshipped it's a bit bizarre they all wore masks as well and in that comic mild spoiler alert but you know it's been out for a while uh, Kylo Ren challenges Ren to fight and wins and then kills him and then he becomes the leader of the Knights of Ren and the Knights of Ren they've always followed the dark side and they were meant to be loyal to Ren and Kylo Ren but obviously the Rise of Skywalker has retconned lots of 
different little bits of information, including that apparently the Knights of Ren have always been loyal to Sidious. So I don't know if we're going to get more explanation to that or what, or that's just going to be a throwaway thing and we're just going to have to deal with it, but still. And then there's one other little bit I want to mention, which is they call the dark side the shadow and the, the members of the Knights of Ren has changed slightly. So at the time of this Crimson Dawn story, there are four main members, which is Cardo, Marinda, Massive, and Vicrol. In the New Republic era, so the sequel trilogy era, you've got Vicrol still there, Cardo is still there, but then the new ones you've got is Ushar, Trudgeon, Kurok, and Aplek. And if you want more information on each of those, because they've all got like specialities and things, then the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary is a really good insight into that, or you can just look through Wikipedia, whatever you so desire. But with that in mind, guys, let's move on to the next issue in this collection, which is Dr. Aphra number 15. So, Dr. Aphra 15 is called Party Favours. It was also released on October 13th, 2021. Uh, the writer is Alyssa Wong. The penciler is Minkyu Yung. The inker is Victor Alazaba. And the colour artist is Rachel Rosenberg. And the trade paperback collection of the War of the Bounty Hunters Dr. Aphra issues was released December 14th, 2021. So, let's move on to the crawl with this issue. Rogue archaeologist Dr. Aphra and smuggler Sana Staros are working for Domina Tague. The job? Infiltrate the most dangerous place in the galaxy, an auction hosted by the resurgent crime syndicate Crimson Dawn. After getting captured, imprisoned, and staging a breakout, Aphra and her associates are staring down one of the most deadly assassins in the galaxy, Deathstick. So, the issue starts with Deathstick attacking Aphra and Just Lucky. They manage to evade some of her poison darts that she throws at them, and then Deathstick pins down Aphra by throwing so many darts at her, it kind of catches her clothing, and she's stuck to the wall. Deathstick then approaches Aphra, and before she can do anything further, Sana and Ariel Yu then shoot at Deathstick, and Deathstick just runs away. And then before the gang can do anything else, some Crimson Dawn soldiers then enter the room and then start shooting up the place. So they all dive behind some artifacts or walls and things just to get some cover. So Aphra's looking around trying to find some artifacts, see if anything would actually be able to help them, and sees the Thought Dowser. Now a Thought Dowser is an artifact of the Ascendant. Now the Ascendant are like this ancient, almost like a cult in a way. They don't really give much detail in this issue. I think we're going to get more information of them as the Aphra run unfolds. But they basically created tech that even the Sith often avoided. And when Aphra gets near this Thought Dowser, she comments saying that malevolence is like rolling off it. It's like ash in her mouth. But she grabs it, and then this massive red light fires out, and there's a huge amount of energy bursting from this thing that she's holding. And to clarify, the Thought Dowser, if people know about, I think they're called Water Dowsers or something, um, or dowsing, and some people use them in like ghost shows and things, it's meant to show the magnetic polarity of something, something like that. But basically, it's similar-ish to that. So you hold it in your hands, and it's almost like if you've got your fists closed and outstretched in front of you, you've got these things kind of poking out from the the scrunch of your hand out and facing forwards. And then coming at the bottom of your hand is like a bar. So it's just like one stick that's kind of been bent, almost like the shape of like handlebars of a bike in essence. And it obviously looks sharp and it's evil looking and stuff. But yeah, so Avra grabs that and then she forces the Crimson Dawn soldiers and Deathstick to stab themselves. It is 
quite graphic and is very, very cool if you ask me. And the Crimson Dawn soldiers are like screaming out, yelling that it burns. Why are they doing this? And they're like, it's not just a little stab. They're like slicing themselves like from their own abdomen up to their neck. It is pretty, pretty intense. But Death Six stabs herself with one of her poison darts. So she's been poisoned by that Dathomirian poison that she seems to go on about whenever she's in these comics. And Sana gets nearer Aphra and Aphra says that she can feel the thought dowser in her head. It's prying her head open and demanding things. And then she screams out, why don't you just shut up? And a big red light like bursts out of it. And Aphra drops the thought dowser. And then one of her arms, which has got the electro tattoos on it, all completely burnt. And the reason for this seems to be that Afri used her electric tattoos to be able to sort of hack into the technology of this thought dowser. It's quite intriguing, but in the past I've spoken about Afra and how her electric tattoos, like what they actually do, hasn't been explicitly confirmed. And in this issue, it confirms a bit more as the issue goes on. But in short, the electric tattoos kind of help Afra slice into things. It just kind of, it's a shortcut in a lot of ways. So she's got these things. So, you know, when she grabs an item, instead of having to plug in this thing and then plug in that thing, Thing and then stop this alarm going off and stop that going off. Her just holding it with those tattoos makes it so that a lot of those things don't happen. So she can just kind of bypass a lot of things. But it is commented quite a few times in this and the previous run that it's quite old tech. Like it's not necessarily that common anymore. I think Afra's mum had them as well. But to my knowledge in canon, I don't think anyone else has got electric tattoos. I think they're quite an old school thing in Star Wars, which I would love to have more information on that. I think electric tattoos look so cool. And if I didn't already have like a Star Wars part sleeve done, I would consider getting an electric tattoo, like the style of it. I just, yeah, I love it. Anyway, so... Afra's arm that has the electric tattoos is all burnt and so Sana manages to grab Afra because she's kind of passing out she slings her over her shoulders like a fireman's carry and then Afra manages to mutter about getting the necklace before they escape so Sana grabs that necklace which was owned by the Black Sun person who is also a Crimson Dawn informant and stuff that obviously Afra's been trying to get for the last few issues since entering this auction so the gang, Just Lucky, Ariel Yu, Sanastaros, and Dr. Afra all then run. They know that there's no guards around and they're not quite sure why. And obviously these companion War of the Bounty Hunters comics explain why, because obviously there's a lot going on, especially with Vader causing so much hassle and things for everyone, and then the huts and etc. So they all manage to get to the hangar. Sana puts Afra down because she seems to be a bit more conscious of things, and then they all pull guns on each other in quite a standoffish fashion. And, you know, Afra says to Just Lucky, you know, it doesn't have to be like this because they always kind of betray each other, but don't really want to kill each other and one line i quite liked was sana says to ariel you if you're ever on corellia hit me up and we'll go have a drink together because they're both lovers of or ex-lovers of just lucky and dr afra so obviously sana was with afra and ariel was with just lucky and they're still kind of entangled in their lives so i think sana and ariel you have quite a lot of common ground in that which is quite entertaining but Afra blows up ariel Yu's ship and then sana and afra bail on sana's ship the vault cobra Afra sprays her arm with some Bacta spray and she says that her electric tattoos are fried. Now, I just want to read uh, a couple of comments from this issue uh, just with how Afra describes what the Thought Dowser felt like. I mean, one of my favorite things about Star Wars is the Force, but also like some cool, interesting technology and it seems that what the ascendant did is had some technology which could severely harm force users and non-force users alike without the devices themselves having to be used by a force sensitive individual so it's quite intriguing but yeah i'm going to read you guys a bit of this the ascendant was an ancient cult obsessed with powerful dark technology according to legend thought dowsers were made of a special material that amplifies your thoughts 
The Sith used them to teach apprentices how to compel and manipulate people by channeling one's will. In theory, anyone could use them, like a lightsaber. But if the user was Force-sensitive, the effect would be crushing. I exploited a loophole in the artifact's design to activate it. Connected to the right circuits, gave it some juice. It was fascinating. Incredible. I never want to do it again. And Sana says, The good news is you don't have to. And you were slicing into other people's files the old-fashioned way long before you had those tattoos. And Afra says, True. Let's see if I've lost my touch. And then the final pages of this comic show that Afra slices into the necklace that she stole and finds lots of Crimson Dawn information. And she actually confirms that the Crimson Dawn is everywhere. And the final page of the comic, it looks really nice. It's got Kira in the center and then different factions of different places around the edge. So you've got the Empire, you've got the Rebellion, you've got the Tade Corporation, you've got the Sixth Kin. So Crimson Dawn really is everywhere. And that, my friends, is where Dr. Afra 15 ends. So we move swiftly on to Darth Vader number 17. So Darth Vader 17 is called Just Rewards. The date it was released is October 27th, 2021. The writer is Greg Pack. The artist is Raphael Ienko. And the colour artist is Alex Sinclair. Now, the trade paperback on this one is a little bit confusing. I don't know if on the publisher's summary or on Wikipedia there's some sort of error or something. But it seems to be that... They're releasing a trade paperback collection of Darth Vader War of the Bounty Hunters that's coming out December 21st, but it only has issues 12 to 16. It doesn't have this one, even though this one says in the crawl, War of the Bounty Hunters, on the cover, War of the Bounty Hunters, and everywhere else I've seen is included in the War of the Bounty Hunters stuff. So I'm not overly sure why that is. I don't know if maybe it's going to be included in the Crimson Rain trade paperback collection, which is going to be the next batch of potential crossover stuff. I'm, I'm not overly sure on that one, so um, can't advise at present. Obviously, as it's not out yet, I can't really do anything about that. But moving on, uh, let's read out the crawl for this. Darth Vader pursues his son, Luke Skywalker, across the stars to strike fear into his heart. Meanwhile, on the planet Jakara, Vader's servant, Ochi of Bestoon, is battling Sly Moore after learning of her betrayal of Vader. So Slymore is the Umbaran, she is Force-sensitive, she's an advisor of Palpatine's, and I gave a lot of information on her in previous episodes of War of the Bounty Hunters, and I think in the recent episodes I've done with the Volume 1 and 2 of Vader comics that are set before War of the Bounty Hunters, so if you want more information on her, go check those out. But yeah, Sly and Ochi are fighting each other. Sly says that Solo was getting surrounded by some hut ships. Meanwhile, it's showing that Vader is still chasing Luke, you know, Vader's in his TIE fighter and chasing Luke in his X-Wing, just playing cat and mouse, I suppose. So Ochi sends a transmission to Vader, but the Huts manage to intercept it. And the Huts basically hear that Ochi is talking negatively about the Huts, which seemingly infuriates Boku the Hut even further. But then Ochi says to Sly that Vader only wanted Solo to try and get Luke Skywalker. Why would Ochi try and distract Vader from getting Skywalker if this whole thing is all so he can get Skywalker? It doesn't make any sense. Meanwhile, the Huts attack the Empire and things, and so Admiral Piet tells Vader about Palpatine's message, because previously, obviously, Vader said, don't contact me unless it's from Palpatine himself. So Piet cleverly contacted Palpatine, said, you know, we've got a situation here, the Huts are attacking all these other things, we basically need Vader to get involved, but he's chasing Luke. So Palpatine sends a message back and gets Vader to do so. So Vader leaves Luke and, you know, makes some comments about how he's already stricken fear into his heart and things and he's crushing his hope, you know, the normal sort of dark side gloating sort of thing, trying to wear someone down. And then shortly after that, it cuts to Vader on the Hut's ship, the main one with the Hut Council on there. He just starts slicing them left, right and centre. There's 
like sushi'd hut everywhere. And Boku says to Vader, like, why? What, why have you done this? Because, you know, we had an agreement and things. And Vader says, yes, but when you hesitated to help me with the droid crush attacking, that was when you sealed your destiny. And Boku says, actually, I sealed my destiny long before that. And he presses a button and then the Crimson Dawn logo comes out, you know, reaffirming the in previous issues of this that Boku is part of Crimson Dawn as well. Vader was surprised, but he stabs Boku with his lightsaber anyway, and so is the end of Boku the Hut. And just before Boku dies, he talks to his droid, and the droid confirms that they are in perfect position. Vader, before letting whatever's going to unfold unfold, crushes the droid with the Force, but unfortunately it is too late. And the Hut ship crashes into the Star Destroyer, the Executor, blowing everything up. So you see the wreckage of the ship fall towards the planet of Jakara, and in amidst the wreckage there is like a ball of metal. It gets closer and closer and you can see this ball of metal is connected by lots of different debris and shrapnel and things. The ball falls and hits the ground, and then a red lightsaber stabs out of it and cuts out, obviously showing that Vader very quickly surrounded himself in like a debris shield of some sort and then fell to a planet. And I just want to add here for clarity, obviously this is set before Return of the Jedi, and we all know how Jabba dies, but the Hut Council have all now been killed. Uh, that was confirmed in the epilogue of War of the Bounty Hunter number 5, which I tackled slightly earlier on in this episode. So on the Star Destroyer, Slymore is now in handcuffs, and Ochi says that she actually helped Luke, and he's saying this to Maz Ahmeda, who's there. She confirms that she was only doing that because Palpatine wanted Skywalker alive. Maz Ahmeda asks about the Rebels and Crimson Dawn, and then Vader enters and says, you know, why haven't you asked about me? Mars then ignores Vader and then just asks Sly again about the Rebels and Crimson Dawn, and she says that they're both gone. Vader says that he succeeded in his mission because he has struck fear into the young Skywalker, and then Sly responds and says that he still has freedom and still has fight in him. Vader doesn't like that very much and force chokes her and then you hear Palpatine's laugh and he is communicating on like a hollow projector. He tells Vader to find the Crimson Dawn spies that are inside the Empire that is the top priority at the moment. So Vader walks off with Ochi and then Maz Ahmeda says to Sly that he warned her. Sly says that yep yeah, I still live. The Emperor knows the value of my service. And then Maz says perhaps sub-administrator you aren't even important enough for him to notice. So shortly after that, Vader then tells Ochi to go to the League of Assassins, which is where Ochi basically trained up and things. So Ochi does that, he goes to the League of Assassins, and they confirm that they actually have a gift for him. And they show that the gift is actually Kira in a cell. He asks, does anyone else know about this? And they're like, nope, you're the only person here, just us and you. And uh, yeah, this is a gift for you. And so Ochi pretty quickly then just shoots all of them, killing them, and then saves Kira. And then the final panels of this comic show Ochi holding Kira and both of them saying a million stronger than one. And that is like one of the many mottos of Crimson Dawn and it kind of gets echoed around uh, these issues. So yes, obviously Ochi is one of those spies. Now there is one more thing I've got here before we move on to the next comic, and that is just on the planet that Ochi went to. So there's a planet called Saki, so S-A-K-I, and Although it seems to only be here in the canon, in Legends there was a planet called Sakia. Now it was only really mentioned in the Old Republic game and then a couple of comics and things, but it seems to be basically the same planet they've just called. I mean, in Legends, Sakia was also abbreviated to Saki, so we can assume that that's the same place. But um, yeah, that's the end of Darth Vader number 17. So we're now halfway through this collection, so let's move on to the next one, which is War of the Bounty Hunters IG-88 number 1. So the issue is called Born to Kill. It was also released October 27th, 2021. The writer for this is Rodney Barnes, who also wrote Lando Double or Nothing. 
And the artist is Guiu Villanova, and the colour artist is Antonio Fabella. The trade paperback collection of IG-88, Boosh, Jabba, and Forlom and Zucker, so they're called the War of the Bounty Hunters Companions, and the trade paperback collection of that was released December 7th, 2021. Now before we get into the crawl, let's just give you a little bit of information about IG-88. I have a feeling that I did because he has popped up in War of the Bounty Hunters before, but just a little recap. So his true name is IG-88B. I don't know how long that's going to stay in the canon for because it was basically due to, it was either a I think it was the Tops card game, which counts as being canon and it gives like fact files on certain individuals, but it was alleging that IG-88 is one of four, and there's IG-88A, B, C, and D, but IG-88B is the main one who does everything that we see in certain series and in you know comics and books and in Empire Strikes Back. Not to be confused with IG-11, who is the one who's shown in The Mandalorian Series 1, but yeah, IG-88, apparently there are four of them. It's a bit... I'm not sure how I feel about that. It just seems a bit of a cop-out. Really, why would they not just be called, you know, IG-87 or IG-89? Why would you make four identical IG-88s and call them A, B, C, and D, but then nowhere in the canon have the other ones appeared ever? It's it's just the B. It seems bizarre to me, but he has actually been destroyed at the moment of recording this at least four times. And there is a short story in the Age of Rebellion special, uh, which has... As I said, an IG-88 story in there, and you can listen to me talk about that in episode 43 of Styles Comics and Canon if you so desire. IG-88 is just under 2 meters tall, he's 1.96 meters, and also another name for IG-88 is actually a FLUT droid, P-H-L-U-T droid. It was made in the Hollowan Laboratory, and apparently it killed its makers, and is the second most notorious bounty hunter after only Boba Fett. And I want to clarify here once again my issue with IG-88 A, B, C, and D is that if IG-88 B killed his makers, then who made C and D? Did they turn everyone on at the same time and they all attacked him? Like, it just, it muddies the waters a lot. I'm not a fan of that uh, IG-88 B nonsense. But maybe they'll give some more clarity. Maybe there'll be some sort of story about it that will bring some elaboration. Or if anyone listening has any idea if there's something I've missed, please tell me because, yeah, it's a bit confusing. But not dwelling on that too long, let's move on to the comic itself. So here is the crawl. IG-88 is a ruthless assassin droid with an unparalleled reputation for mayhem, violence, and efficiency. The droid recently met his match at the hands of Darth Vader. Are IG-88's destructive days finally done? Spoiler alert, I highly, highly doubt it. Especially given the contents of this comic, I'm now going to go through with you. So this comic has a fair amount of narration in it. I'm not going to read out all the narration and stuff. It's just kind of flavor text and things. And obviously when a comic centers around a droid, you can't necessarily have too much text unless they're a droid like C-3PO. But um, yeah, there's this person who's narrating and I'll get into that in a sec. So the narration confirms that everything dies, including IG-88. And he died when Vader fought him and just ripped him to pieces. And that's in the first and second War of the Bounty Hunters main comics. So a guy called RB919 finds IG-88 scraps and wants to repair him. Devar Lompop was actually the one who hired him because she wants IG-88 on a team to help find Boba Fett. Uh, Devar Lompop, you should recognise her name because she's been in, I think, all of the companion comics thus far. She's a very interesting character, hundreds of years old, been about since the High Republic, and I have a strong suspicion she is going to appear in some of the High Republic content that we've got on our way once the dust has settled from War of the Bounty Hunters. But I'll get onto that when we get there. She, once again, only really appears in most of these companion comics for a moment or two. I think she's mainly in in the Jabba comic from what I can recall that's when you get the most amount of story from her but 
Anyway, that's the reason RB919 is trying to repair IG88. So while repairing IG, he then thinks of IG's reputation and the bounty hunter war that's going on at the moment. RB wants to team up with IG88 to repair him and then go on adventures together. He can keep repairing IG88, IG88 can go out and do what he wants and things, but RB can, you know, sort him out. So RB puts a chip into IG88 with the mission that Deval Lompop has and, you know, tweaks IG88's kind of personality matrix. So IG then wakes up and says that he'll test RB's proficiency of repairs and then shoots him point blank range and kills him. IG comments to himself that the chip said to kill all who are no longer needed, and RB was no longer needed. So alarms then sound, and then IG just immediately kills some guards, and then communicates to Deva Lompop. She's put the Slave One's security protocols in the chip that's in IG, so he has them now. So IG heads off into the galaxy, and seems to have a recurring flashback of his death from Darth Vader, and he can't really figure out how it happened, because he can't comprehend the Force really, and he, you know, thought, he thought of every element, and everything that he could have, that would have made him beat Vader, when obviously he got completely destroyed. So IG's on the ship, and it comes out of hyperspace, is attacked by pirates, and very quickly he just kills all of them. IG then ponders and is concerned about where the specs came from Boba's ship, but then reviews a lot of footage that he has of Boba Fett and thinks that Boba's main weakness is his own arrogance, and that will be his undoing. So IG then sees Boba Fett's ship land on Tatooine, and then Boba flies away with his jetpack, assumingly to go talk to Jabba or something. So IG then enters the Slave 1, uses that security codes and stuff, and the readout and whatever to get access to the ship, and then Boba Fett shortly after that enters. A shootout occurs and IG manages to get Boba Fett off his ship somewhat and Boba then shoots a pipe that was behind IG-88 that has got carbonite in there. He makes a comment about, you know, he doesn't want to go through the hassle again. So he's now got like a carbonite thing maker, I guess, on his ship so he can freeze people in carbonite. And obviously as he shot that, it then freezes IG in carbonite. So Boba then just leaves IG outside in the Tatooine sun and gets on the ship and flies away. IG then thaws out and then tries to figure out why Boba Fett spared him if they were enemies and they were shooting each other and things, and he thinks he has a lot to think about. He also mentions that the chip that was implanted in his brain with the mission was actually damaged in the fight with Boba Fett, so now he doesn't have a mission. And then the final panels of this comic show that IG is just kind of standing by himself, staring up into the galaxy, saying that he has all of the capabilities and programming for success, but it eludes him. And so he says to himself that he will improve his programming. Unlike those that breathe, he is but a machine. And for one such as him, time means nothing. And that's where the comic ends. So the IG-88 comic, a lot of it is action and very cool action, I might add. But obviously, I'm trying to give you guys the footnotes and just generally the information that happens in the plot itself. But yeah, it was a cool comic. I enjoyed it. And, you know, I want a bit more of IG-88. I don't know when we'll get it. I mean, Probably Book of Boba Fett thinking about it. That's actually probably quite a safe bet of when we're next going to see IG-88. And assumedly they'd use just the same model they use for IG-11 or just tweak it slightly because, you know, they're basically the same models. And no, I don't know where the other 77 models are between IG-11 and IG-88. I don't know about the other IG units that go up to there. I know that 
IG-100s are the Magna Guards, and they're the things that Grievous has on his ship, the Invisible Hand, at the start of Revenge of the Sith, the Obi-Wan fights and stuff that have the Electro Staffs. And also, I just had a quick look online, just to refresh my memory, and there is actually an IG-86 Sentinel droid, so that might be one of the reasons why they called IG-88 IG-88B instead of, you know, IG-88 or 87, 86, whatever. I don't know why they didn't go up, not sure. But an IG-86 unit is basically just a droid that Zero the Heart and a lot of underworld gangsters used. I believe it's actually in the Clone Wars that you get to see some of these things. So there are a few IG series things around. There's IGRM Bodyguard Enforcer Droids. There's the Sentinel I just mentioned. 88 is the Assassin Droid. 100 is the Magna Guard. And then there's an IG Lancer Droid as well. So there is a bit of a variety. There's still not a huge amount of them. And it doesn't fully explain how the 86 and 100 are different models to IG-88, yet IG-11 seems to be the same as IG-88. That also doesn't make sense to me. Bit confusing. Maybe that's just a slip up in Star Wars, or maybe there's something obvious that I am missing. Maybe if the numbers are double, so maybe IG-11, 22, 33, 44, 55, etc. Maybe they're all the same. I can't fathom how or why a manufacturer of droids would use that method, but maybe we'll get more information on that, or maybe it will remain a mystery. But with that in mind, guys, that pondering of IG units, let's move on to the penultimate issue, and that is Star Wars number 18. So Star Wars 18 is called Collision Course. It was released November 3rd, 2021. The writer is Charles Saul, the artist is Ramon Rosanus, and the colour artist is Rachel Rosenberg. The trade paperback collection of Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters, as in the War of the Bounty Hunter stuff specifically for the 2020 run of Star Wars comics, is going to be released December 28th, 2021. So let's get into the crawl. Bounty Hunter Boba Fett completed his mission by bringing Han Solo to Jabba the Hutt. After their failed attempt to save the Carbonite Frozen Solo, Leia Organa, Chewbacca, and Lando Calrissian plan their next steps aboard the Millennium Falcon. Now, I will clarify here that this is a really good issue. I, I love this one, but I think this one is once again one that really benefits from you guys reading it yourselves. There is a lot of dialogue, and there's a lot of weight to certain characters and interactions, and I'll explain a little bit of it when we actually get there. But yeah, this is one where I often say Darth Vader comics benefit from you reading them because they're so visual, and then the Star Wars comics normally benefit from reading them because there's so much dialogue. So um, I just want to throw that out there here. So moving on to the story then. So Leia and Chewie are on the Falcon and they're looking very sad and Leia says not to sound too much like Lando but hope is for suckers. She thinks of Han Solo when he you know kissed her and stuff and then thinks of Commander Zara who's causing them problems in the first two volumes of Star Wars and then she thinks of Alderaan blowing up as well as Hoth and the, well, they lost the Battle of Hoth and things so she's just feeling really hopeless. She actually describes herself as feeling like a droid because she was so close to saving Han. She was like she said if she had one more minute before Boba Fett showed up she would have let Han out he'd have been free and they'd have all been together and stuff while she's thinking about this and like talking out loud to Chewie Lando is in the cockpit talking to Lobot so Lando wants Leia and Chewie to go back to the rebels so he can then go get the talkie droid that he left with Jabba the Hutt and stuff which you know was how the rebels have been communicating with each other without the empire managing to decrypt what they've been saying and things and this was all confirmed I tackled it in episode 64 of Star Wars Comics in Canon it is issue number 14 of the 2020 run of Star Wars Comics where it all gets detailed but in essence when they ejected the talkie droid so that Jabba would be able to you know pick it up and things and that would be intel for the empire about the rebels the droid said that they could save Lobot as they were kind of disappearing. And it was, you got to see that the droid itself 
it was connected with Lobot because Lobot allowed the droid to speak, but then actually the droid could allow Lobot to speak as well, but no one really saw that happen. It just kind of happened while everyone else was busy and things. So then Lando then goes and speaks with Leia and Chewie and things, and they all think that Han is unfortunately dead. And then Crimson Dawn's ship appears. The Millennium Falcon tries to escape, but it can't use hyperspace. And then Kira comms and confirms that she actually disabled them. When they land on the Star Destroyer and went to try and find Han, one of her people went on there and disabled their hyperspace, or disabled their hyperdrive so they couldn't use hyperspace. She wants to come aboard the ship alone and then apologizes to L337 for disabling part of the Falcon because obviously in Solo it's confirmed L33's consciousness kind of merged with the Falcon's computer and Kira confirms she just wants to talk. Leia says they have nothing to talk about and Kira says that they both loved the same man so there isn't enough. So Kira's on board, Lando searches her and finds a bottle and a data card. The data card, she says, will just plug into the Millennium Falcon and then it will reactivate hyperdrive. And the bottle is actually an old Corellian concoction called a Flameout. It is made using rye, hull stripper, and just a touch of spice. So it sounds like it would be awful if you ask me. Kira wants to talk to Leia alone, and after a bit of back and forth, she eventually agrees. Lando leaves, and then Kira says that Han had some sort of cups or glasses around here, and she's trying to like look for them, and then Leia shoots the bottle that Kira is holding. Kira says that she is sorry of what happened, and that she actually really did help them quite a lot. She was trying her best. She got word to Holdo. She then obviously fought Vader to try and give them some time to distract Vader and stuff. She then sent Boku to fight the Imperials to give them even more time. She got the Millennium Falcon onto the Star Destroyer. And then Leia, in response to all of these things, says, but you could have just given him to us. Like, why did you go through all this stuff? And Kira says that she wouldn't have gained anything if she did. It was all well and good just being a good person, but that isn't what Kira is about. She says that her own goals come first. And Leia says to Kira, well, you, you used Han then? And Kira says, yeah, I did. And that's one of the reasons why she's better with you, Leia. Because you care about him. You make him better. The rebellion Han Solo is the hero I always knew he would be. But with me, I just manipulate him and turn him into things and make him do stuff he really shouldn't do. Kira manipulates people. Leia inspires them. And so Kira recounts a story to Leia about Han. So in short, it's back on Corellia and you've got young Kira and young Han. And I keep swapping between Han and Han. I'm really sorry, guys. <laughs> I do it so often. But Han is basically, he breaks up a fight. There's like this little kid that's being beat up by some of these other kids. He stops the fight and then just gets beaten up himself. And then Kira obviously didn't help or anything. She just kind of watched from afar and asks Han, like, why did you interfere? Why did you get involved? So I'm just going to read Han's dialogue because A, we don't get to hear much from Han at the moment because obviously this is all set around the time clearly when he's frozen in carbonite. So it's a nice bit of dialogue. I think it works quite well. So it starts with Kira saying, why did you do that, Han? You could have got yourself killed for nothing. And Han says, you're right, Kira. That's the way it is. No one's ever going to help anyone else unless it gets them something. Hell, I noticed you didn't exactly lend a hand. Is that way down here with us? And I figure it's probably the same way all the way up there and he points to the sky. At the top of the fanciest tower, on the top of the fanciest planet in the galaxy. But today, for a few minutes, for that kid, that's not how it was. Maybe it doesn't always have to be this way, you know? I guess that's what I was thinking. Maybe it could be different. you got to start somewhere. After that story, Leia says to Kira, well, why are you telling me this? I, I know Han's a good person, obviously. And Kira says, well, Han is actually alive. And Leia's like, you're clearly lying about this. And she's like, nope, I actually put a tracker on the frozen in carbonite and he's gone to Jabba's palace he's just hung up on the wall there he's actually fine Boba Fett managed to grab him just before he fell into the water and stuff and disappeared forever 
So Kira then says to Leia, well, what are you going to do now? Are you going to go off and save Han from Jabba? And Leia says that no, for the moment, he's actually in quite a safe location. It's very unlikely anyone's going to go try and rescue him or kill him or anything if he's basically on Jabba's wall and that the Rebel Alliance needs her. So Kira then goes to leave and says that she'll help when needed. And then the final thing is Leia saying, was that story that you told me about Han, was any of that true? And Kira just gives Leia a look and says, be seeing you, Leia. And that is where Star Wars number 18 ends. See, I just want to add in here, I really, really liked the interaction between Kira and Leia. I did kind of say some of the highlights and things, but once again, I do recommend you guys pick this up because it's the dialogue's really good. And, you know, that's something I never really thought about when I saw Solo. And then obviously I had already seen the original trilogy. I didn't really think about how it would be if Kira interacted with Leia. I just assumed that Kira wouldn't be about by the time of the original trilogy. I assumed that we'd get some sort of, you know, Solo 2, or maybe the Lando series would come out, or something would happen, maybe a book about Kira, and it would show, like, the downfall and destruction of Crimson Dawn, whereas obviously, kind of the opposite of that has happened, in a sense, which is, it's showing that Crimson Dawn is still thriving at the moment. Well, I say at the moment, there's apparently going to be, like, a three-part trilogy in the comics. Uh, War of the Bounty Hunters was the first part, Crimson Reign is the second part, and then I assume the third part will be announced at the end of Crimson Reign, but, um, well, I really enjoy that one. And so we move on to the final comic of this batch, and that is going to be Bounty Hunters number 17. So Bounty Hunter 17 is called Escape from the Executor. It was released November 3rd, 2021. The writer is Ethan Sachs. The artist is Paolo Villanelli. The color artist is Arif Prianto. And the trade paperback collection is going to be released January 11th, 2022. I want to remind everyone that I did have a conversation with Paolo Villanelli on my other podcast, Genuine Chit Chat. But if you are listening on YouTube, you can watch the video version of my conversation with him too. But with that in mind, let's get into the crawl. The rise of Crimson Dawn weighs heavily on the bounty hunters as the dust settles from the hunt for Han Solo. Betrayed by Boba Fett, Baylot Valance was left for dead aboard Darth Vader's Executor with no hope for escape. So the story starts with after Boba Fett sticking Valance with the thermal detonator and exploding and destroying a lot of his chest cavity, his system is now failing. He stumbles around the Star Destroyer and falls into a hallway. There's a squad of stormtroopers there who attack him and he starts to fight them. Meanwhile, it shows Taonga and Losha are approaching the Executor for Valance. Tasu, Leech, Bosk and Zuckus are also there along with the Nexu. They need to get close to the Star Destroyer so they can contact Valance because they need to use the old smuggler's frequency that only has limited range. Meanwhile, Valance then gets shocked by some stormtroopers. He's smashing up helmets. He grabs a mouse droid, smashes one over the head with that. Like, it's a really, really cool set of action-filled panels. And he basically manages to KO all of these stormtroopers that are in that corridor. And then Taonga communicates to him. He thought she was dead. Obviously, she isn't. And I've explained that, I think, in the last issue, uh, the last volume of War of the Bounty Hunters. But anyway, they approach to meet in the hangar. So Valance heads there. A TIE fighter then goes near the ship that Taonga and co are flying, and it hails them, and it says, you know, please provide your information, why are you over here, blah blah blah, and they have a little bit of a discussion, and then Tasu Leech, who is sat in the turrets, shoots the TIE fighter, and then a whole bunch of TIE fighters then attack the ship. Now, Taonga's ship is called the Edgeback as well. Meanwhile, Kira is speaking with Vakora of the Unbroken Clan, and she asks her to help Crimson Dawn crush the other syndicates. There's mention of the bloodline and things because, as I've said before, Vakora is kind of the acting in charge leader of the Unbroken Clan. It's actually like this old dude who's locked in a tower for, I think, his daughter or son died or something. It's something along those lines. I think it's heavily connected to the whole Cadalia thing. I think it, maybe it's Cadalia's mum 
the pregnant woman, she died, and then the guy in the tower is the one who is the dad. I think that's what they're saying. But anyway, because of that, obviously, Vakura is leading the Unbroken Clan Syndicate, so Kira gives Vakura something as a gift. Vakura is surprised by it, we don't get to see what it is, and then Vakura accepts. So back to Valance, it shows that he is on his way to meeting Toonga and Ko at the hangar, and then a cadet stops him. Valance manages to convince him not to shoot him, and some Imperials are watching on like cameras and things, and they decide to open up the vacuum. So they basically just open a door, and then just sucks into the vacuum of space. Valance notices that's about to happen, tries to grab the cadet, fails, and Valance manages to save himself, but the cadet is ejected into space. Valance then destroys the camera, and Imperial Records then identify Valance from you know his previous imperial service but then the imperial officer who's checking this notes that there is a classified note on there that he can't access so the lieutenant in charge there someone called hayden who is a woman with a cybernetic eye says that she will contact vader so Toonga in the ship is approaching the hangar, but there are loads of stormtroopers all shooting at them and things, so Valance tells them to back off. He manages to steal a jetpack from a jump trooper and then flies towards the ship outside the hangar. Now just a little bit more information here, the jump trooper is something that was first seen in Star Wars Commander, which I think is the mobile game, but then you also get to see them in Star Wars Rebels and also Battlefront 2. In Legends, they were called Air Troopers quite early on, but then in the Force Unleashed games they were known as Imperial Jump Troopers. So they've been about for a while, it's just a stormtrooper with a jetpack basically. So anyway, Valance with this jetpack flies towards the ship outside the hangar, and then Zuckus has to go and grab Valance. They reach out, they grab hands, and then Valance is like ripped away, and Zuckus is just left there holding his severed arm. Toongo and Co have to leave now because they're basically getting shot at a lot and they need to bail, so they disappear, and it shows that the reason that Valance kind of got pulled back and things was because it was Darth Vader pulling him. And so the final panels of this comic show that Valance wakes up and he's been fully repaired, he's got synth skin on him, his chest cavity is no longer open and things, but Vader is standing over him. And Vader says, I had you fixed because you serve me now. And that is where this comic and the War of the Bounty Hunters ends. So guys, I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you enjoyed all of the other War of the Bounty Hunters comics I've been tackling and all the episodes I've been doing and things. I've got one more episode for you uh, before the year is out. It's Kind of a full episode, kind of not. It's like a special, I'd say. Um, obviously, a week from today, or this episode being released, is actually Christmas. Uh, so I'm going to be releasing the Life Day comic. So there's a comic which has got four stories within it about Chewbacca and Han Solo, and it's talking about the celebration of Life Day. Now, Life Day is a Wookiee holiday, and it takes place, I think the date itself is actually Thanksgiving, but the festivities are a lot more aligned with Christmas. Um, but it's a really fun little comic. I read it the other day, and so I thought it'd be a nice little festive treat is for me to go through that as well. So it's only just one comic. I think it's a bigger comic from what I can remember. It's either 30 or 40 pages long, bigger than the standard 20 pages. So there'll be a bit more information than just like a one shot, but you know, it is just going to be a little special I do just for you guys. So um, that's what you can expect next week. Then the week after that is going to be New Year's. So I will, I don't know, I may release like something I've put on Patreon onto here, uh, one of the Star Wars reviews. I'm not entirely sure. I will figure it out when we kind of get there. But then next year, guys, I'm going to be tackling the Poe Dameron series, the High Republic comics, both High Republic and High Republic Adventures. I'm going to be tackling some of the more ongoing series. There's a couple of mini series that have been coming out. There's the Marquee on Road two-part mini series called Eye of the Storm. There's Trail of Shadows, which is a High Republic thing, uh, four parts, I believe. Then there's also the Monster of Temple Peak, which is the Ty Yorick, who is a character from The Rising Storm. It's her like origin story. So that's a four-part mini series as well. Some of these are about IDW 
IDW Publishing, which are still canon, some of them by Marvel, which obviously is canon. Uh, and then, yeah, we're just going to kind of see how the year goes. I want to do some more book reviews. Obviously, I still haven't done the Race to Crash Point Tower book review, and I haven't done the Out of the Shadows book review because I'm still reading Out of the Shadows. And then obviously in January, we've got the next phase, or uh, the next wave of High Republic books with Claudia Gray's Fallen Star being the big adult novel. So Lots of exciting things on the horizon to come. Mainly, it's going to be a lot of High Republic stuff, uh, as well as any other things that come out. I think I found out like today or yesterday that there's going to be a Han Solo and Chewbacca miniseries, and I think that's going to be set before A New Hope. I think it's going to basically be explaining the story of how Han Solo got into debt with Jabba the Hutt so badly, and obviously that's what plays out in the original trilogy. So quite excited about that when that comes out. I'm sure there'll be more announced and more released that aren't just specifically High Republic stuff. But yeah, it's going to be for me. Poe Dameron, High Republic, and then I'll kind of see how this whole Crimson Rain thing unfolds because Crimson Rain is the next part of this trilogy. So Charles Sauler's War of the Bounty Hunters is the first trilogy, is the first part of the trilogy. Then you've got Crimson Rain, which I've read the first issue of that. Uh, and then there's going to be a third trilogy, which will, which will probably be announced after Crimson Rain kind of gets near its end. So exciting stuff on the horizon, but that's generally what you can expect from me. Obviously, check out my other show, Genuine Chit Chat, where as as I said earlier, I had a conversation with Paolo Villanelli that was really cool. Uh, this time last year, I spoke with Claudia Gray. I spoke to Alex and Molly of Styles Explained. I spoke to Dominic Pace, who is in The Mandalorian. Uh, I've spoken to lots of people about a variety of different things, and I've just recorded a conversation with Ben of Star Wars Timeline. So we talk about stuff that's non-Star Wars related, then we talk about Dune a bit, and then we talk about Star Wars as well. That's going to be on Genuine Chit Chat as well. So I would recommend people go over to the YouTube channel because there's certain video versions of my conversations on there. Uh, there's also all the Star Wars episodes, there's a genuine chit chat episodes, there's a few random special episodes on there as well. And if you are listening to this and you do have a YouTube account, I would really appreciate it if you could go and subscribe to my YouTube channel because if it can get 100 subscribers, I can change the channel link from just random gobbledygook to slash genuine chit chat and it'll just make a lot of people, or make it easier for everyone to kind of find the channel. Aside from that, guys, the main thing to say is, you know, you can rate and review and share with your friends and all that sort of other jazz. I really appreciate if you do those things. But also, if you want to support the show, you can become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. For £1 a month, you get access to hours and hours of additional content. There's nearly 80 episodes on there already uh, of either afterthoughts or extended episodes of genuine chit chat, that sort of thing. But I've also just released the Dark Disciple book review. So High Republic book reviews are going to be on this channel and they're quite extensive you know they're like an hour or so long whereas the Dark Disciple book review I think was 15 or 20 minutes long it's a lot less structured but I give my thoughts and opinions on there and then towards the end I kind of explain the plot as well so if you want to hear even more book reviews I'm nearing the end of Shatterpoint which is a Legends book with Mace Windu during the Clone Wars that's quite an interesting one I'm on the last half an hour of that audiobook and I've got two more Audible credits as well that I'm going to be using so I'm going to do probably two more canon Star Wars books with that I haven't fully decided what I'm going to do with those ones. Uh, there's quite a few books I am intrigued by, but we shall see. Obviously, there's plenty of new books coming out next year. There's some, well, there's two with Obi-Wan, and then there's two others that I can't remember off the top of my head what they're about. But, you know, there's loads of books coming out. So what I'll probably end up doing is doing some sort of quick book reviews just, you know, for Patreon, and then the more in-depth ones for the High Republic, I'll keep on this channel. So if you want even more book reviews and you want even more styles content and you want to support the show, uh, then please head over to patreon.com genuine chit chat as it would mean the absolute world to me.
Aside from that, guys, make sure you check out all the links in the description. I ensure the show notes are very extensive on all the guest spots I've been doing recently on the Talking Dad podcast, on Star Wars Timeline, on Hall of Mirrors, on Bin Arts Productions, all those sort of things. And links to everything are in the show notes, so I make sure they are very detailed. Um, but yeah, rate, review, share with your friends, talk about it, and all that sort of other jazz. Uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday season and festive period and things, and a good end to 2021. Got some exciting other things planned in the new year, which I'll talk about at some point. Um, but yeah, guys, that's pretty much it from me. So um, thank you as always for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you and um, may the force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.